Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river and really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Um, we continue our series uh, on the fruits of the Spirit. And um, as you've noticed, if you've been keeping track, we've gone a little out of order and that's okay. We've had some plan and purpose for that, especially as we end the series. Uh, we're going to end, we have three more weeks after this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about love on Easter, which is so very fitting that Easter being God's um, just incredible movement of love in the world. Uh, the next week after that is we call it Covenant Sunday. Covenant Sunday is the Sunday where we welcome uh, many of our kids and new members. Profession of faith uh, will be going on. I think we might have a baptism or two. I'm not sure. Um, but there's just going to be a lot of stuff on. And we, we're talking about faithfulness because truly God has been faithful to all these people through years of learning and growing. And we want to recognize that. And then finally, we're going to finish off the series the week after that with joy. And joy certainly is one of the crowning things of life as a follower of Jesus Christ that we live in to the joy that all these other fruits bring to our hearts and our, our minds. This morning, we're talking about self-control. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And we're going to read the uh, nine verses there. And Paul is writing to Titus about what it means to lead a group of people. And in that community, it's actually the community of Crete, where Titus is ministering, Paul has some instructions to Titus about how he wants them, how he wants him to speak into the lives of these Cretans that they might continue to learn more about what it means to follow God. And self-control certainly is a highlight of this text. Thus, we're going to talk about it this morning. As we come around God's word, let's pray for his blessing and his presence on our time. God, you are good, and we are grateful again for your goodness. We are grateful for the goodness of your word that has power to transform and move our hearts and lives today. We ask, Father, that you might do the work of the Holy Spirit, that you might speak to us, that we might receive your power through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the grace that you have given us through that, and Lord, that this might impact us, transform us, not just lay dormant in our hearts truth that we simply leave and forget, but instead, Lord, may it be truth that transforms us and moves us, Lord, deeply, more deeply into what it means to live life on the vine, attached, engrafted, connected to the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus Christ. We pray these things all in his name and God's people said together, amen. amen. From Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, 
to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We're going to finish there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I had a paper route when I was a kid. It's a different time now, so young kids don't have paper routes. But I got my first paper route delivering the Ottawa Citizen, the local paper in Ottawa that came to the town where I lived. And uh, at 10 years old, I started delivering about 33, 34 papers every morning, except on Sunday, because they didn't have a Sunday paper. So Monday through Saturday. And as a result of that, I had some disposable income. About every two weeks, I had to go to the local supervisor and pay her some money, usually about $25 every two weeks for the supply of papers that I received. But the rest of the money, and usually that was about another $25, $30, maybe even $40, depending on how many tips I got, was my money. And my parents had said that I needed to deposit half of that into the bank for my college fund, which stunk. But the rest of the money, another 20 or so dollars, was mine to do with what I wanted. Now the problem that this brought into my life is that since I had this money, and oftentimes, because at that time I think it was $2.50 every two weeks for the paper, I always had a lot of change in my pockets, which meant that I, being a 10, 12, 13-year-old, had a desire to get rid of that change by spending it on stuff that I wanted. So I would go down to Durant's. Durant's was a local variety store that in the back had a few pool tables, and they also had some video games, and they had pinball games. And I would go there and I would buy a couple candy bars or I would buy a soda and then I would go back to the back and, you know, I did what my parents had told me not to do, hang out in the pool hall. 
But I wasn't there to play pool. I got pretty good at pool over time, but that actually happened in college. It's another story. But when I was this young, I would just play the video games and finally the pinball games. Video games were fun and I enjoyed them and I got really good at things like decathlon, which you had to press the buttons really fast and Defender and all these Space Invaders, all those original games because video games were just sort of catching their, their speed when I was a kid. But then I discovered Spider-Man. Spider-Man was a pinball game. And I, in my mind, even to this day, can map out for you what the table of the Spider-Man pinball game looked like. Because I played it so much. I got really, really good at Spider-Man. I know that you, if you played and you got 230,000 points, got an extra credit, which means you got to play again. You got another one if you got 380,000 points. And you got another one if you got 500,000 points. And I also know that if you hit the certain target at the certain time, you would get an extra ball. You would get five balls. I could get six, seven, even eight balls because I was good at hitting the extra ball target. And if you hit this one target at exactly the right time, you would get what was called a special And a special is another extra credit. In fact, it wasn't unusual for me when I would play the game Spider-Man after putting one quarter in there to be playing for the next five hours. Because I got so good that I could just get free game after free game after free game after free game. In fact, the owners of Durant's would limit me to one hour at a time. I could play for an hour, then I had to take an hour off, and then I could play for another hour and take another hour off, and I would wait telling people who are playing Spider-Man how to play it so they could get extra balls and extra credits. It consumed me. I was the best, and I still believe I am the best, Spider-Man pinball player in the whole wide world. There were times, actually, it was interesting, you could see how many extra credits you have, and the number would stop at 99 And there were many days when at the end of the time that I spent at Durant's, I left and there were 99 extra credits just waiting for someone to come up and play on Spider-Man. It consumed me. I couldn't leave. I couldn't stop. I would think, even when I wasn't at Durant's, about how to get better at Spider-Man. I knew the special patterns for the buttons and how you could shake the table just enough not to get it tilt but to get the ball to where he wanted it to go. The problem is that it took me about $2,000 and quarters to get there. Now think about that. My lack of self-control so consumed me that it cost me $2,000 that quite frankly, if I could go to that kid and wring his neck and shake all the change out of his pockets, I'd take that $2,000 right now, thank you and immediately send it to Calvin College. But that's a whole other story. Paul is writing to Titus, who is a leader of a church that is learning what self-control means. And Paul is directing Titus to call people to self-control so that their lives are not governed by things like the addiction that I had to pinball, but instead governed by God in a way that allowed them to pursue the best, the good things. 
In fact, Paul gives us this great definition right from the beginning. Actually, it's not right from the beginning of the text. It's a couple verses in that help us understand about what a lack of self-control is. He says this, we too were foolish, we were disobedient, deceived, and then this word, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Now, if I'm thinking about what a good definition of lack of self-control is, that's it. It's something that governs one so much that in their enslavement to their passions and desire for pleasure, they pursue anything and everything that makes them feel good or gets them excited or gets them happy. And instead of experiencing the freedom and life that comes, they experience the negative stuff. And you see here, what Paul says, the word foolish, it's key here. It means without understanding. And this is key, it's ignorant of God. Without a godly heart and mind, the Cretans will live into all the negatives of the text. Those negatives, those consequences of a lack of self-control. And you see what Paul says here are the characteristics of a lack of self-control. Listen to these words. Slanderous. There's people who are conflictual inconsiderate, arrogant. Again, that word, powerful word, enslaved, malicious, envious. They're marked by hatred, and they're quarrelsome. And we hear these words, and certainly we know in our own lives, if these are in us, there's pain, there's struggle, there's suffering, there's hurt. And what Paul is calling Titus to is to help the people who are in the Christian church learn what self-control is so these characteristics don't mark them. And the text is certainly calling us to that too. Because God doesn't want us to experience those words, slanderous, conflictual, inconsiderate, arrogant, enslaved, malicious, envious, hatred, quarrelsome. He doesn't want us to experience those things. And the problem is, in our world and in our experience, a lack of self-control has those same consequences. We experience, in, experience them in our own lives. We see them in the world that we live in fairly regularly because we are surrounded so often by people who live into a lack of self-control. If we don't control our appetites, if we don't control our tongue, if we don't control our passions, if we don't control our need for gratification or our eyes or media or our habits or our thoughts, and you get the picture. And the reality of it is, is that I can talk about the generalization of all this, but you know them for specifics. You know, some of you, the consequence of not being able to control your tongue and what that has cost you. Maybe in your home, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your workplace. Certainly in some relationship somewhere, you have seen or experienced what a hurtful word, what a lack of control of the tongue has done into the life of another and how that's affected that relationship. 
There's some of you who have seen the consequence of not being able to control your eyes. Viewing inappropriate television shows or pornography in the internet or taking a glance at other men or women as they walk past. You know how much that consumes you and how that wounds you and the pain that that causes. And certainly there are many marriages that have been marked by that, marked by addictions to pornography and what can come of that. There are other things that happen after pornography, other bad behaviors, pursuing affairs or inappropriate sexual relationships. There's some of you who can speak to what your lack of control of your greed or materialism has done to you. There's some people here in this room who are sitting in ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt, pursuing an instant gratification lifestyle of buying this, buying that, financing this, financing that. And that lack of self-control has led to a bondage to credit companies and paying the bills each month and trying to get on top of your finances. Some people have even had to claim bankruptcy and pursued other means that actually in the end end up hurting them more than helping. We know in our lives the consequence very specifically for lack of self-control in whatever area we're talking about. And as we talk about the generalization, as I try in what I say to you, try to blanket a lot of those different things, please, I encourage you, hear these truths for your specifics. Hear these truths for who you are and your experience because truly God's word speaks into them if you and I will but listen. The result of all these things certainly is pain, it's fractured relationships, ill health, addictions, and loss of self. There are people who would even say that after I got addicted or after I I pursued or after this became my passion or this excitement that I wanted all the time, the net result was I lost a whole lot of who I was. That loss of self gets impacted by our lack of self-control. And one great challenge certainly is this. It's that we will always face the issue. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much life experience you have. There will always be places where we are addressing self-control on some level in our lives. Age only changes those things that we might have to seek self-control on, but it never changes that we still need to seek it, pursue it, find it, and live it. I remember I was sitting with a man in a hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. He was on his deathbed, and he knew it. His cancer had spread to his liver and several other organs. And he knew, and I knew, that he literally had weeks to live. Thankfully, he was strong enough that day that I was visiting with him to sit and talk a little bit about life, about faith, and about what was happening next for him. And for whatever reason, I don't remember, the topic of self-control came up. And this man had been characterized by others as I was going to visit him because I didn't know him as a man who was held in very high regard, high respect because he had lived a good life, life marked with goodness. 
He'd served others. He'd been faithful to his spouse. He'd cared for his children. He'd cared for the less fortunate. And I'm sitting there and we're talking about self-control and I think I had highlighted to him some of the things that I'd heard. And he said to me, Scott, I want you to understand that the struggle to be that has been a constant one that I can remember since my teen years. The idea of living into this goodness, of being controlled of my passions so that I wouldn't fall off and fall into the trough of sin and addiction has been a constant one. It just changed. He said, I can remember being a teenager until my mid-late 20s and my problem was girls and passions that resolved around the female gender. I wanted to pursue them. I wanted to date them. I wanted to sleep with them. I wanted to be with them. And I realized very quickly that that passion that I had had to be controlled because I saw the consequence at times when it wasn't controlled. God be praised, he said. I I figured that out. But then it became my work. Because my work was something I wanted to pour my passion into and build my business and focus on it. But by that time, he was married and with children and he realized that his business was something that consumed him so much that his family became sort of the consequence of his passions for work. And then he said, then my family became my passion and it became the thing that I focused on in investing in my kids. But what I realized is that the more I pursued and poured into my kids, the less intimate with God I was. And by that time he said, I was in my 50s and I realized that I needed to love my children, but I also needed to release them into the hands of God. And he said, but then the worst came. And he said, I took up golf. And he said, as soon as I took up golf in my 50s, I realized how much it would consume me. I wanted to be on the course or the driving range or the putting green. I wanted to be at the golf stores and spend a lot of money on this thing, improve the game, go to every single fundraiser golf tournament, impress other people, be good, understand it, watch it on television. It became something that consumed my life. And I realized that if I didn't master this place and space, that I would lose myself in it and lose my love for Jesus. The truth is, the struggle for self-control will never end for us. There will always be places and spaces. Whether it's with something material or a passion, it will certainly always be with our tongue. Because the tongue, as the word says to us over and over again, is the most difficult of things to master and gain self-control over. So then the question becomes... Since this is something we will all struggle with throughout our lifetimes. What is it? How is it that we understand it so that God can come and transform us into people of self-control who are marked by doing good in all things? Well, you'll notice in the text how verses 4 through 7 talk about this new life offered us through Jesus Christ. 
you'll notice that there's tons of God active language. God active language simply means this. God is doing work. God is the one in charge. God is transforming. God is moving. When we see God active language, we can take comfort in that. Why? Because it means that it's not on us. That truly, God is the one who makes these shifts and moves in our lives. But we're not off the hook. Because after that discussion, the language shifts. And it uses these powerful words to describe what occurs in believers through grace. It uses words like rebirth and renewal. It uses words like becoming heirs. And these are fundamentally identity words. And we've talked a lot about identity here at the river, haven't we? Remember, I've asked the question, are you sinners? And your answer is? You guys are still getting it wrong. I see people nodding their head yes. In Christ, are you still sinners? You're saints. And what the language of the text is talking about here, that rebirth, that renewal, that becoming heirs, is that we are living into that sainthood of God through Jesus Christ. Which, although God is active, transforming, renewing, we are the ones who have to grab onto that new identity and live into that new life, that sainthood, that purity given by God, that holiness of God through the blood washing away our sins of Jesus Christ. That's where our new identity comes from, but We are called to live into that identity, to understand it, grab onto it. Certainly, we still have a sin problem, but if we are heirs of God, sin has no consequence for our eternity because the grace of Jesus Christ has renewed us to a point where it doesn't have the consequence it did before. Rebirth means we are in new life. 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's a passive truth. Until we make it active. Living into it. Grabbing it. Understanding it. And through the power of the Spirit within us, living into that new life. Our new life really is new life. So when we think about self-control, our thinking doesn't become about us mastering ourselves. We have already been mastered by God our Father through the grace of Jesus Christ. It means that we then are living into that new mastery. We are exchanging the heart of stone, the sin, for heart of flesh, the godly renewal of God. You and I have self-control in our new identity, but the challenge is to live into it. To instead of pursuing our heart, our passions, our desires, pursuing his, the renewed heart 
given us by Christ. You hear this phrase. It's a powerful one with this enormous word. I wanted to make sure I got it right, so I looked up the definition in several places. Devotion. It says, devote yourself to doing good. And devotion is an interesting word. Because if you look it up on your phones or in the dictionary that is gathering dust on your shelf at home, you're going to find this. It says, pursuing it with all passion. When someone is devoted to something else, it means that that whole person is pursuing that thing. When we hear being devoted to what is being devoted to doing what is good, it means that we are pursuing it with all of ourselves. And how do we know what it is that is good? It's not in our heart because our hearts are broken, are sinful, are messed up. It's pursuing the heart of God. It's pursuing who he is. The problem that so many of us have with self-control is our focus is inward instead of being outward on what it is that God's plan and purpose is for us. Because God's plan and purpose for us is not to spend $2,000 on getting really good at a pinball machine. It's not a marketable skill. God's plan and purpose for us doing good is not living into Sexual sin, pornography, adultery. God's plan and purpose for us doing good is not living into materialism and pursuit of things and experiences. God's plan and purpose for us is not living into fill in your blank, spending every waking moment at the golf course, pursuing it. Arlen, right of you, buddy. Love you, man. Pursuing it, instead of saying that, we say, what is it, God, that is good for me to pursue that I might live into the new identity? To stop being addicted to my own passions and become addicted to yours. The simple answer, it's a simple one, complicated to live out. But a simple answer to gaining self-control is to wean yourself from your self-addiction and become devoted, addicted to the one who is given new life. The problem with those of us who struggle with self-control is we are addicted to ourselves. And God has called us. Remember in Romans, we talked about it. We are now, instead of slaves to sin, ourself, we're slaves to God in Jesus Christ. Weaning ourselves from that is the difficult job that many of us have ahead. And of course, God does this work. God continues to be active. God will always be active in this. He does this through the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 5. But so often, we can't listen to what the Spirit says to us because of our being distracted by our own wants, desires, and passions. And the challenge for many of us is simply to get outside of ourselves. To stop being so self-focused. Because when you are self-focused, you know your passions and your sin and your struggles betray you. They do constantly for me. 
It's when I live outside myself. When I see my world with the renewed eyes of Jesus Christ. When I see my desires with the new eyes given me through Jesus Christ. That's when self-control begins to take root in me. And as we increase our devotion, remember the power of that word, all-consuming, everything for the pursuit of it, God transforms our passions and our desires to his. I I still want us to be addicted. I still want us to be consumed by these passions and desires. But I want us, I want me to be consumed and addicted to God's desires, God's ministry, God's kingdom. And when I am addicted to that, truly that's when self-control has come to full fruit in my life. That's when I know it's at its best. Truly. Self-control is God-control. You get into a position where you're feeling like you're losing yourself. You're losing your self-control. Remember that phrase. Self-control is God-control. Welcome God into your struggle. Now, perhaps your struggle is porn. Perhaps your struggle is money and greed. Perhaps your struggle is alcohol or drugs. Perhaps your struggle for self-control certainly is your tongue. And for you and I in that moment when we're struggling, when our passions consume us in that thing, clicking on www.ishouldn'tgothere.com, going to the store yet again to buy something we don't need for a purpose we can't really define, to taking another helping just because it doesn't fill us anymore, but it definitely makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. In those moments for you, to ask God, what is it that you want me to do to devote myself to doing good? Is this good? Certainly sometimes it may be. For you to pursue the passions that you have. Sexuality is a good passion in the appropriate context. Having things in your home is a good passion in the appropriate context. All these things can be appropriate when we allow God's mind to come over us, renew us, rebirth us, live us, move us into heirs of God, and then become addicted to his calling, his movement, his kingdom in our lives. This last phrase is a really important one, and I'll tell you why it's an important one, why I want us to be self-starters. It's interesting, many of you have heard of Willow Creek Community Church. It's just outside of Chicago. It's one of the largest churches in all of North America. It's led by Bill Hybels, who's actually originally a CRC guy. What's interesting about that church is they grew to, I I think they're somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 between all the different campuses and ministries that they are a part of. And a couple years ago, they did a study of their church. And what they discovered was that a whole lot of their people loved Jesus, but for over a decade, maybe even a decade and a half, two decades, really hadn't grown in a vibrancy in their relationship with God. They loved Jesus. They loved worshiping. They loved fellowship. But they really weren't growing. And what 
Heibel says in a book that he wrote, actually some other people wrote it, he gave the foreword, was that he felt the guilt and the conviction that he as a leader in that community had not moved people to self-start. The idea that he was talking about is this. He felt like people thought he was the Bible expert and the other preachers of the church were Bible experts and that was going to be the primary means for each person to grow. They were going to come on Sunday, hear moving messages, hear powerful messages, and then go home and live into those messages. The only thing and the only problem with that is, first of all, it's only one day a week. Second of all, the sermons may not speak to where God wants to grow you. The third problem is that meant that people were dependent upon making sure that the messages were absolutely the perfect message. And any preacher will tell you the perfect message is still out there because none of us have ever grabbed onto it. And what he was saying was this. He was calling this group of people to say, don't depend on me for you to grow in your walk with God. I'll seek to be faithful. I'll seek to encourage you. I'll seek to teach you. And through the Spirit and the Lord's leading in the vision for ministry that we have at Willow Creek Community Church, I will seek to give you an opportunity to grow and as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But if it's dependent upon me and my leadership for it to happen, then you and I will be sorely disappointed by the lack of discipleship and growth in your life. You, I, our growth depends on our willingness to engage in the rebirth given us through Jesus Christ. You and I have to be people as we struggle with what it means to live in the self-control of our tongue, to discover what God's word has to say about it, to go to other sources, other resources, other believers who can pray into that. You can't wait for me to call you or speak to you or talk to you for that to happen. And I'm not letting myself off the hook. I'm not letting the staff off the hook. We have responsibility to you. But the truth is that we don't know everything we never will. Your, I, my responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to pursue all fruits of the Spirit, most importantly this morning, self-control by discovering in God's plan and purpose for my life what he wants me to grow into. What he wants me to learn about. What he has for me in his word. I can't expect someone else to pursue it. Truly, self-control. Self-control means that I have a mastery of myself through the power of the Holy Spirit in the work of Jesus Christ. People, I want to call you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to think about your place, your mess, where self-control is not there. And then I want to call you and challenge you to think through places and spaces where you can gain learning, knowledge, understanding, where you can pursue depth, growth, where you can see the Spirit move in you on your own. Now certainly email us for resources. 
Ask us, ask me, ask elders, ask other Christian friends and leaders within the community for ideas, great, perfect, ideal. But then, pursue them. Then, grow into them. Then, don't just sit back and wait for it to happen. But instead, through the self-control that the Spirit is growing within you, pursue it so that you and I might experience the fruit of the vine growing out in us. See God at work. See Christ moving us more deeply and deeply connected to him and in love with him. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask that you move our hearts to pursue yours. That, Lord, you exchange our heart of stone for a heart of flesh. That you renew us. That our desire for self-control moves us to be God-controlled. Moves us to bring ourselves more deeply in love with you, to learn more about you, to grow in relationship with you, and that we're not dependent upon someone else coming alongside, maybe to start, but Lord, that can happen, but in your time, that instead, Lord, we say, God has something to say to me, and I'm going to pursue it, I'm going to listen, I'm going to follow where he leads. Lord, equip us with the tools and the understanding and with the people who can encourage us and speak into those things. But that, Lord, as those words are spoken and as your spirit moves, that we get so devoted and consumed by you that we will not stop pursuing you till we see that fruit in our lives. And even then, we live into that fruit and see it bless the world around us. Father, this is work that you do in us. Lord, may we receive that work, engage in it with you, and in gratitude, Father, say I love you with our lives, with how we're living into that truth. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.